Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Resurrection Sunday with us. My name is Micah and that was my wife Grace who read the story. I'm going to pray. We're going to get into the message. So Father, we thank you for who you are for what you purchased. And more than anything, God, we walk out today a new life in you, a life that only sacrifice could have, could have given us, a life that only your shed blood could have allowed us to enter through. So God, today, we don't take that lightly and we don't take it for granted. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. You know, I've been... Um, it's funny, if, if you don't know the history of our church, we're a, six, a little over six-month-old church plant. So our first uh, service ever was in here the very last week of September. And if you'd have told me that on Easter this year we'd be having three services, I would have, if you'd have told me we'd have two, I was like. <laughs> and it's just as I look at my journey and as I look at our church's journey, what I, what I want to um, really say today is I think I'm coming at the Easter story a little different. And I think a lot of the times what happens, and many of us have been to churches, we've heard sermons, and we've been around the block as it pertains to Christianity. So we know, okay, well, Jesus came, he died, he rose again from the dead. Now we have life in him. Okay, great. All right, see you next year. And what is it? But for me, there was something recently that as I was looking and and kind of wafting through in Scripture that that was pertinent. And it was the fact that there are so many people in the story of Jesus that share similar stories to what we live today. See, we know the, the basic plot, but do we know the sub-characters? Do we know the stories of the people who were present? Do we know what they walked through, what they'd been through? And do we know that you actually, believe it or not, might have a piece in this puzzle that you had never noticed before? And so today, that's what I'm talking about, your piece in the puzzle. But it's not really peace as in like, okay, I found the one spot and I plugged it in. But it's rather a piece that you would find as you look at Jesus' story and recognize that thousands of years ago still could have meaning today. A few months ago, and by a few months, uh, six to eight months probably, this is a really embarrassing story. So just don't laugh at me or bring it up because I'm still having scar tissue about it. Okay, 7.30, we're getting a few laughs. We're getting a few laughs. All right, those were all fake. Those don't really count. You got to get it on the joke. Um, (laughs) A few months ago, I was working out, not like Jarrell, who's in the second row, the most jacked guy here. Um, Still have to work out with you, still running from it. (laughs) I mean, Jonah. Anyway, um, Bible jokes. Okay, so I was at the gym, though, and I was working out, and that day, it was a Saturday night. The gym was super busy, and I'll never forget, I was working out, and I was doing legs, which all of us act like we like, but nobody really does. Remember, this guy comes up to me, and he goes, hey, man, do you mind if I can, if I use this after you? And I said, great, I'm on my last set. Typically, what I always do is, you know, I warm up, and then I'll do, like, six sets. And I never really push it that far, because I hate using a spotter. Why? Because, you know, I'm strong. It's funny how you don't need, you don't want a spotter until you need a spotter. If you know what a spotter is, it's somebody who helps you if you're failing. It's like, 
But me and my wife have a joke where if I'm looking at weight that I'm questioning that I can lift, I literally say to myself, if you can't lift this, she'll, you don't deserve her. (laughs) I, I literally say it all the time. I'm like, if I cannot get this off my chest, I'll never see my wife again. All right, let's go. So I remember I'm like looking at the school and I, and at this point, this was weight that I'd always done. It was weight that had never really, it had never really affected me before. And so I put this weight on and I remember I'm like, this guy's waiting behind me and I'm like, Hey, this is just my last set. And it's not even, it's not a max or nothing. I'm just trying to hit six quick reps of a, of a heavier weight. But once again, it's weight I'd always done. And I remember I'm like lifting it. And on the third rep, I'm feeling my legs shake, but it's not like, it's like a, I'm like, Oh, I'm fine. You know, in the fourth rep, I go down and I'm at the bottom. This guy's three feet from me and I am stuck. Now, many of you guys, I had never been in this situation before, okay? Meaning that I have weight that I can't move. And so normally they say just ditch it, but I hadn't put the, the railings on the side. Because I, because I never had, I remember I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm not going to ditch this weight because I don't want this to roll off my back and make a massive scene. And the guy, I'm dead serious. And I'm going to say the way you guys, whatever, but I had three, I'm literally 315. I'm sitting here and the guy literally sees me not coming up and he goes, bro, do you need help? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he comes up and he gets under my arms and he puts his chest and he's trying to pull me up, but I can't, I'm not coming up. I'm not coming up. And it's this complete stranger right, I mean, behind me, literally grabbing me in my ear. And he's like, you're going to have to ditch it. I'm like, are, are you sure? Yeah, you're going to let me move out of the way. Okay. And he looks and I get it done. And it's one of those where like, I, I'm so embarrassed and ashamed. And I don't get embarrassed a lot, believe it or not, literally telling this story. Um, I, I'm so embarrassed and ashamed that I like look at him and I know he doesn't believe me. I'm like, oh, I do this weight all the time. You know, he's like, oh, I, oh, I bet you do. As I almost scraped you off the floor and tried to pick you up and you couldn't even stand. And I was like, okay, whatever. Walked away and I did not finish the workout straight to the car and just sat there in silence. <laughs> just sat there. I'm just like holding the steering wheel, just contemplating life. Like, God, why would you let me go through that? <laughs> I'll never forget it too. Cause anytime you got a stranger that close trying to pick, pick you up, you're like, okay, I'm not, this is weird. Wouldn't recommend it. But the reason I tell that is because I was thinking about this week. I was thinking about this week and I was feeling like there were two types of people here. And the two types of people are, one, Christians who have felt the weight of bearing the following and disciple, being a disciple of Christ, that are questioning maybe if it's worth it. Is it worth it to continue carrying a burden that other people look at and are almost like, that does nothing for you? That makes zero difference. That has no power or meaning. Is it worth it to continue carrying a burden in which other people have violated, the the church and the pastorate sometimes have violated trust and have violated what the perception of what following Jesus is, how much even sometimes we've monetized and capitalized on the financial things of the church. And, and, And what I felt like was God was saying is challenging people to enter into their piece in the puzzle regardless of if that weight feels like it's one you're questioning if you even want to lift anymore. And I think a lot of us, as we sit in this room, we would sit here and say, yeah, I serve Jesus. I'm here on Easter. But we have questions in our mind of if it really is worth the work, 
Is it really worth picking this weight up that others don't even think works and builds any strength? Why would we continue to do it? And the second type of people are those where life has put a weight on your back and God is coming up behind you and saying, you're going to have to ditch it. And I feel like there are people who come to church on Easter and what they they would never acknowledge and they would never tell people around them is they have a weight on their back that they have thought they've been able to lift, but they're coming to the end. There's limits to what they've been able to, to pick up. And now it's getting to the point where they're crying out to God and saying, God, will you lift this? And God's not saying lift it. He's saying ditch it. Ditch the, the, whatever you're striving after, whatever image you're trying to uphold, whatever perfect world or reality that you're trying to transpose and show everybody appearance-based, this is who you are. See, what God is saying today is I purchased an ability for you to ditch the world and enter into heaven. And for those who struggle with the way God is essentially saying today, do you believe that as you lift, I will strengthen? Do you believe that even though you don't feel like you can, I will come up behind you and help you? Yes, we know that the yoke is easy and the burden is light, but is it really? A passage we've all read. But do we believe the yoke is easy and the burden is light because he's gentle and humble of heart alongside us as we lift it, recognizing in some instances that we may have to let the weight fall off, and that's okay. So what I want to do is, and many of us, I'm just going to hyphenate, Grace had read the Easter story in, right after worship. My wife's incredible. I love you. The Easter story, why it's needed, I I explain over and over again that in the Old Testament, covenant is law. It is literally above what the legal system is. Covenant sworn in blood can only be redone upon the shed blood of another. Two parties entering into contractual agreement that as long as there is breath and life a part of them, that their word would be binding. But what happens when those two... People are timeless, good and evil, in contract and covenant over earth being God's as long as earth chose God until it didn't anymore. So what happens? God consistently trying in the Old Testament to rewrite this covenant in a way where his people could live out the intended purpose of creation that he instituted in Genesis. Over and over, whether we see it in, with kings and judges and prophets, voices of correction and at the same time voices pointing to a better way, we never chose them. Decade after decade, millennia after millennia, generation after generation, thousands of years, what we see is that man keeps tripping over the laws that God has instituted, not as a barrier to him, but rather a fence of protection around intimacy with the Father. So then what happens, God, after seeing the failures of all of the things we've tried to do and uphold and the laws and the regulation and the voices that we never quite can listen to, gives forth his Son as a final token of what it would mean to rewrite a covenant, blood for blood. A death that would constitute a rewriting. That rewriting, now what we get to live in. Jesus offered up as an absolution of the covenant. 
that then can allow a new covenant to be written. And the covenant that is written, the law written upon our minds and our hearts, the Holy Spirit that could be present with everyone and anyone at any time. This is a new covenant. This is why Jesus came. But what I want to talk about more than anything today is this. I want to talk about how you might be individually found in the crucifixion story. How many of us never realize that Jesus within the cross, the burial, and the resurrection has hidden in people of symbolic importance that many of us maybe have never historically and contextually noticed before. And so what I want to do is I'm going to be breaking down kind of five different people in this story. And what you might find is that you find you're in this story more than you ever realized. The first person is this. To the one who has made mistakes and those mistakes have made it seem like they have no access to God. You are in this story. Luke chapter 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals who was hanging there was hurling abuse at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him and said, Do you even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what deserve our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom And he said, truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. This one hurts me as a pastor to talk about this morning. No baptism, no discipleship, no time commitment, no giving history. No, his language or of even repentance is lukewarm at best. How is it that one man in his moment of weakness that is literally condemned and actually accepts the fact that they have done wrong even though Jesus hasn't? Could in a moment be accepted into something that he had no other mention or moment of before and then he's in. Once again, you are in this story if you believe that you have made mistakes and that have canceled and and have not given you access. This is literally written to you. In Roman time, what's fascinating is that they would crucify for not actually huge offenses, but even as small and minute as stealing What does that mean is that no matter how big and small, you could be subject to literal crucifixion depending on the day you were caught, the judge that you saw, or even who was against you in your case as you see later on with Jesus. And what I would challenge you today is that I feel like a lot of the times we come to church and the first excuse we have before we meet Jesus is I've done too much. I've sinned too much. I don't know enough. I haven't been around enough. I don't, I've never even read my Bible. And we forget that in Jesus' story is this story, a man who just with a dying breath says, hey, will you remember me? Will you remember me? Not, hey, save me from my sin. Not, hey, would you build me a beachfront mansion in heaven? Not, hey, God, I hope that you, when you get there, you kind of pen me into the Lamb's book of life. Not, will you just remember me? That's been said of you, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, that God remembers you, He knows you, and He's purchased a place for you. This one blows away any excuse you could ever conjure that there's no place for you. There is a place for you. The thief got in by asking, would you remember 
Yes, admission of guilt and and pointing out that Jesus was innocent and saying, you know, don't you even fear God? These are all healthy observations, but he was guilty. And God did not give him what everybody else said he deserved. With Jesus, he is not giving you what you think you deserve. He's giving you what he purchased. Those with a defeated mindset, God has purchased victory for you this morning. That is the first person. The second, the unexplained experiences that we question, wrestle, and ask God about. You have a place in this story. Many of us, what we do is we focus on the good of the resurrection, which in my opinion is one of the greatest stories and not the one of. It is the greatest story for what it means to us today. But at the same time, what we have to wrestle with is the doubts that we feel. The stereotypes we project, how God can meet us in this day and time and actually mean something. And for a lot of us, if we're honest, we've walked through unexplained experiences of pain, unexplained, why did this happen to me? What is going on? And we're asking God, what are you doing? Why did you do this? Guess what? There's a place for you in this story. Mark 15, 21, they pressed, which this word actually means seized and forced into service a passerby or coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. What's fascinating about this take, Cyrene is a place in Libya. When you start to break down geographically what's going on is that the Roman Empire, this is a, a very important trade port for the Roman Empire, So he could have been a traitor, this Simon of Cyrene, but also he also could have been a Jewish pilgrim coming to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration in which millions would flood the city and symbolic reverence of the tradition of what Passover stood for. However, what's even more fascinating is that Simon of Cyrene is pulled out of a crowd and forced to carry a cross for no reason or merit. Let that sink in. You're just in a crowd... Crucifixion, the most barbarian and gruesome act of murder that could possibly take place. You are now forced to carry a cross for a man just because you were present. What I'm saying is this. I think a lot of us, what we don't realize is this is our part in the story. Is we've been present and pressed into something that we don't understand why we were entered into it. God, why would you allow me to go through this when I did? I was just a, I'm just here. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't sin. But you're forcing me through something difficult. Many of us conceptually and historically don't understand that what actually happens with crucifixion is the cross is broken up into two separate pieces. Jesus does not necessarily carry the entire thing. The cross beam would be handed off to one passerby. And typically within Roman influence, they chose those who were of unaffluence. And what I mean by that is that the facts around Simeon are interesting. First, he's from modern-day Libya. The second is that we can assume that something about his identity did not show affluence or actually showed marginalization. Meaning he's somebody on the fringes that if we grab him from the crowd, force him to do something he doesn't want, that nobody really will raise a fuss Because he looks like somebody who doesn't matter. (sighs) Let that sink in for a second. 
For those who sit in this room wondering, God, yeah, I know that you're victorious. I know that you're awesome. I know, I know, I know. But at the same time, I feel like I don't matter. You're in this story. What's even more fascinating is this, is this story has meaning in it that I believe is so incredible. If you noticed in Mark 15, 21, it says Simon of Cyrene, and then it references the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why is that important? Because later on, what you'll see in Romans 16, 13, is it references those two boys. And it doesn't reference them in the way you would think. They have actually become two pillars of leaders in the early church. Cyrene forced out of the crowd by his marginalization and the fact that he's somebody who looks like it's fine if we can force him to do something, carries the cross and in carrying the cross also encounters Christ in a way that his sons become leaders. And what I want to say to you about this story is what we know of him, he seized and forced to carry a heavy and shameful weight he did not desire or deserve with no reason for someone he did not know. This seems like whether we want to admit it or not, all of us have been through this. Carrying a weight that we didn't deserve, carrying a weight that we don't, want, we don't know why God gave it to us, carrying a weight that we're wondering, when are you going to take this off my back, not realizing that God has a purpose and a plan in it. See, Simon's sons would become foundational pillars of the church in Rome. Isn't that interesting? Do you think if he knew carrying the cross, that the one he was carrying the cross for would be the ones that his sons would build the church for? It's an interesting insight, isn't it? And what I want to say is who this could be for this morning is someone wondering why a God would allow them to go through what they have gone through with no reason. Why, God, would you allow me, not realizing that God always has a plan, but even then do we believe that he does? The silver lining of the sons coming to know Jesus and establishing the church in Rome symbolizes the fact that even the most marginalized, overlooked, and those who think we can take advantage of and force to do things, guess what? You still got a place. You still have a place. The next group of people. And I think this one is the most interesting because I think it's the one least talked about. Jesus is Mother Mary. John 19, 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took him into his own household. The life that you didn't expect. Growing up, many of us had dreams of what our lives would be, and then we have reality now, wondering, God, is this the life that you really had for me when you designed me? Mary, standing at the feet of Jesus' crucifixion, has already lost her husband, Joseph. It is a wide consensus that Jesus, his earthly father, is gone. Mary's husband is gone. Mary is now losing her firstborn child. Let that sink in. Do you think that when the prophecy came from the angel that she would be birthing a Messiah, that she would be looking at him crucified? 
She knew he would die, but die for a righteous person. But the level of death that would be needed, I would be questioning if that angel was correct. But even more than that, I've lost my husband, and I'm losing my son in front of my very eyes. See, for some of us, we don't understand that being invited into this story is being invited into the details, celebrating the fact that God, in every single one of these circumstances, made it right. Think about this, Jesus' final moments on this cross, directing his friend to take care of his mother, who has now lost her husband and is losing her firstborn. Talk about insurmountable pain. Here we see Jesus entering into the pain of someone else in his weakest and most painful moment to make sure that they knew and she knew she would be comforted. I want to say this today. If you have been through excruciatingly painful pain, seasons in which you're not just seasons, but you look at your life and you go, when you designed me, did you think this? God today, I believe, just as he was on the cross saying, John, take care of my mother, is saying to you, my Holy Spirit is here to take care of you today. That written into this story is not some blank promise that doesn't have any meaning in merit. What we do is we see Jesus addressing something systemically, but also something that is absolutely, absolutely pertinent to who we are today in bringing promise behind it. Mary, I know you think you're losing me, and I know you've lost your husband, but don't worry, I have a plan. John's here for you, and the people around you are here. You know, Simon of Cyrene, listen, I know that you're marginalized, and I know you're forced to do something you didn't deserve, but what you'll find out is your sons are going to gain something from this that you never thought that they would. Hey, this thief on the cross, yes, I know that you sinned, and, and I know that you're guilty, but you'll be remembered in paradise. These stories are not just stories written into Scripture that don't mean anything to us today. What you might find is that you're in these stories more than you ever realized. And that's how God intended it. Who this one is for is those who have been through a painful experience of loss, have never anticipated having to walk through life how they're walking through Jesus' mother did not know what the death or life of her son would exactly look like, only that the son would be the Messiah. This is not the expected outcome, yet God had an outcome in mind. And I think that is the challenge today in the difficulty of God. Why would you let me go through this life? We're looking at it from the past where God, I think, has something in the future that validates an outcome of pursuing him in faithfulness, even in the midst of pain, brokenness, and uncertainty. The God we serve didn't stay in the tomb, and he won't stay in yours either. The next person, the religious skeptic, and those who feel guilty for what they haven't done or that they haven't done enough, guess what? You're in this story. John 19, 38 through 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came away and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds in weight. The only time you're bringing 100 pounds 
of these types of spices is an absolute outpouring of sacrifice and appreciation. Notice, though, the two things that are said about this man, these men. Joseph of Arimathea, afraid of the Jews, and Nicodemus, one who came to Jesus at night. Let's continue reading. It says this. Verse 40, so they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as in the burial custom of the Jews. Verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, who we know comes to Jesus in the night, this story is found in John chapter 7. What we actually see also is that Nicodemus steps up in the very beginning when the Pharisees and the Sadducees are trying to crucify Jesus. He defends him. Another thing that is not hypothetical and I believe is not talked about enough is that Jesus' trial takes place in the midnight hours. Many believe that this is because that the Pharisee and the Sadducee, not all of them were united on the belief to crucify Jesus. And to do it at a late hour would not allow the ones who were pro-Jesus to come and protect Jesus. Could it be that Joseph, and could it be that Nicodemus, were some of those who weren't there to defend God? And then felt guilty that they had not done enough. Joseph looking and saying, I never professed because of fear of the Jews. Nicodemus, I've ne- I, I stood up, but I, I woke up the next morning and he was already dead. Could it be that the religious skeptic, those who think about what everybody else says, and the one who was a part of the protection in the beginning, but then didn't do enough in the end, have a place in this story. And what I want to say is this, is there's a place in the kingdom for those who are still wrestling with if they can make a public stance for Christ. Just as Joseph of Arimathea steps up and takes care of the body that is dead, God was looking for somebody to stand up when he was living and he didn't. Nicodemus, just as he stood up for God in the early days, was a little late in standing up for him in the final days. See, there's a place for the religious skeptic, those who are wrestling with if they can make a public stance. There's room in the kingdom for those who feel they haven't done enough to be considered worthy or feel as if they've missed their chance to stand for God. There's room for these people. There's room for those with doubts. There's room for those who are questioning what their role is. There's room for those who don't necessarily want to make a public stance because to make that would almost feel like taking a side and the side of Christianity feels so anti-loving neighbors today. What I'm trying to say to, to you is this, is if you're in this room and you feel guilty for what you haven't done for God, with a public stance that you maybe haven't made within everybody, there's still room. And there's still time. And there will always be a plan and there will always be a place. But you're in this story too. And the last people I want to point out that I think is the, one of the most unspoken parts of the entire story is the role of women within it. 
Mark 15, 40 through verse 41. I'm not going to read these because I'm running out of time. Luke 23, 9. Matthew 27, 55. John 20, 11 through verse 16. Women's roles are not just important to this story. They literally are the bedrock of it. As all male disciples have fallen away, a group of women stays true. As all male disciples mourn, the women go to the tomb to make the discovery. Any Easter sermon that does not point to the significance to the role of women within it would be a watered-down teaching of what it actually means and the contribution of those. And I want to say this specifically, is that we, within this story, what you'll find is you are in, whether you want to admit it or not, you're in some of these details. Whether it's some of us who've dealt with skepticism Some of us who've dealt with, okay, God, I don't know if I can make a public stance or I don't know if I've done enough for you to really be classified as a follower. Those who are guilty, wondering, I've done too much. I can't enter into this story. This isn't for me. Women who've been told in silence that, listen, okay, the the church is a man's thing and you kind of sit there and... I mean, there are so many layers to this story in which God invites the whole of humanity in and says, you now have a place in me. And I pray today that as we reflect on Easter, we don't just reflect on the sacrifice, but we reflect on the roles of people that we shouldn't really have had a role, but Jesus made sure they're And what you might find is in that role being remembered is there's a new blueprint for what resurrection stands for. Let's stand to our feet. I just want to read something over us before we worship. Today, If you are one who has made mistakes and those mistakes you feel have disqualified you, you're a piece to this puzzle. If you are someone wondering why a God would allow you to go through something that you've gone through for no reason, you're a piece to this puzzle. If you're one of those who've been through painful experiences of loss and don't understand how a good God could allow such pain, you have a piece in this puzzle. If you've been somewhat of a religious skeptic, caring too much of what others would think or say, or someone who feels guilty for what they haven't done, you are a piece and have a place in this puzzle. If you are a woman and feel you have no place in a religion that historically has silenced and not made a place for you, you're a piece in this puzzle. For Jesus' resurrection makes way for the pieces of the puzzle to be put back together. Those that were scattered in Genesis now redrawn and regrouped around a new reality. And for this new way of life to take place. You are part of this story more than you realize and more than you know. His resurrection is about your place in a story of the past for the future. And this story... He's writing right now, the risen Christ who conquered death.